Good morning, family. Very bright up here. Are you there? Can, I can't see you. It's so great to be together this morning. Uh, this is a, a, a special weekend uh, for many different reasons, but uh, one of the reasons is I just remember during the week that this weekend, 30 years ago, I started the Year of Your Life program. And it was also, yeah, come on. It was the year the Year of Your Life started as a program. So in this house, as Hatfield, we've had the privilege of for 30 years now having the Year of Your Life programming among us. And yesterday, we took in a whole new group of students for 2019. I wonder if those guys can stand. All the Year of Your Lifers, won't you just stand? Just uh, come on, family, welcome them. Give them a really, just uh, great to have you with us. Can we just pray for them and bless them? Just stay standing and we'll. Lord, we, we thank you for opportunities that you give us. Lord, we thank you for the Year of Your Life program, for 30 years of your faithfulness, of all the hundreds and hundreds of young people that went through Year of Your Life and has had their lives impacted in so many positive ways. And we pray for this year, for the class of 2019, we pray, Lord, that this will be a spectacular year for them of experiencing you, learning so much about life and being equipped for your, their purpose that you have purposed them for. And we bless them, we welcome them, we receive them as a family in Jesus' name. And we all together say? Amen. amen, amen. Welcome, guys. It's great to have you with us. <laughs> then uh, it was mentioned in our uh, 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 bulletin just now in the announcements, find myself, that uh, about this little booklet on every second chair, I think we had one of them. So if you can quickly just get one under your eyes, it'll be great. I just want to just make sure that you know what this booklet is all about. Uh, you used to, if you're a Hatfield member, that you used to receive the Hatfield link on Sundays. But this booklet is going to become even more important than the Hatfield link, and both of them will be very important. But in this booklet, you will receive the information for at least the next six months, some of it for the year, of all the dates of the discipleship opportunities available for you at Hatfield. If you look at the front of the book, it says, Life at Hatfield, Growing Your Discipleship Journey. And that's just to say that that's what Life at Hatfield is ultimately all about. It's each of us growing as a disciple of the Lord Jesus, growing closer to the Lord. And for those of you that have been around, you'll know we talk about growing in our up, our in and our out, as the three disciplines of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Now, if you turn the booklet, don't open it, just turn it around, and you'll see this at the back. And um, so what this gives you is just an overview of what's inside of the booklet, um, Discipleship at Hatfield, there's two main components to it. The two main components is discipleship in community and discipleship through equipping. And as I said last week, those two things don't happen independent of one another. They sort of, the two things that are woven through everything we do. But to help communication and to, so that we order things and organize things, that uh, it helps if we can say, these are equipping and these are community things. And um, you'll see on the left-hand side there, there's a, the list of, the, of all the community events that we have. And on the right-hand side, it has the listing of the uh, equipping events. Now, if you open up the booklet and you start paging through it, you'll see how it's structured so that it gives you more and more information about those things. Now, I do want to say that, that this is not perfect. It's not got everything. There's some things that we haven't put in this time around. But we took the decision that it was better to do what we can now than to wait till we can do it all perfectly later. 
so that we can start on this journey together and just communicate with you. So, so if there's certain things in here that's not mentioned, then it doesn't mean they're not important or they won't happen. We'll make sure that, they, that you become aware of them as they happen also, but we try to put in much in here as possible. So I want to encourage you, the aim of this booklet is so that you can look at it, pray through it, and say, Lord, what do you want me to step out into this year? So that where is there an opportunity that I can make use of, that I can grow as a disciple of the Lord Jesus? So we're going to refer to this booklet quite a lot, so we hope that helps you as you journey on with the Lord. Okay, I think that's all the... Before I start the word, I also just wanted to say that I think it is so important that if you haven't registered to vote, that you go to do so today. Amen? I know particularly the younger generation are going, oh, I don't want to vote. There's no party that I feel fully represents who I am. Can I just tell you that's not how politics work? You, You will never find the party that perfectly fully represents what you stand for. You vote for the one that you feel is at least most of the things or some of the things that you feel is important to stand for. And if you find, don't find them, then vote against the people that you think, I just don't want those bunch of people to be in power. That's also okay. You're still part of the democratic process. But vote. If you've got a young person in your house, they're eight, over 18, they're eligible to vote, but they haven't registered, take them by the hand, put them in the car with their ID book, drive them to your closest registration venue, walk, hold their hand, take them to the table, say to the person at the table, I want my child to be registered to vote. If they kick and scream and they refuse to go, then you get drastic. You say to them, I am not going to buy you data for the rest of the year. <laughs> How many of you know that'll work? Suddenly they'll be motivated. I know that's hard. I know that's very harsh. And, and they can threaten you with you know, human rights abuses and everything if you do that. But I really believe our two children went yesterday. They wanted to, but they went and registered quickly and got it done. And today is the last time. So, will you do that? Don't take no for an answer. If you haven't registered, take yourself. Otherwise, you're not allowed to buy yourself data for the rest of the year. (laughs) So, uh, please do that. Well, today we're really starting with our theme for this year that we felt, and and, and particularly in this term as we're going to look at it. And uh, if if you haven't noticed that our theme for the year is be ready. And this comes out of just our times of prayer last year in the church and the leadership and in different spaces and teams. We pray together and we felt this, this God saying to us, we've got to be ready. We've got to prepare ourselves for something that He wants to do. He wants to pour out His Spirit in a new way, and we've got to be ready. And it was so amazing that um, both churches, the South Church and the East Church, independently of one another as the teams prayed together, both felt this word. And subsequent to that, we've heard from many different places, friends of mine, different parts of the world and different churches and ministries, and everybody's saying there's the sense of we've got to be ready for God wants to do something. So we want to encourage you, and we just want to just drill this into our spirits at this time to say, be ready, be ready, because God wants to do something new. How many of you know that if you want to achieve something new in your life, you want to step into a new place, you have to be ready for it? I remember when I was 18 years old. Sometimes it feels like it was yesterday. Most of the time it feels like it was 32 years ago. I was 18 years old, going for my driver's license. And uh, I remember the day before I was scheduled to go for my test the next day. I was driving with my mom, 
you know, practicing, and we were driving to, in Centurion area, we were driving to what was then known as the uh, OK Boulevard, which is now Centurion Mall. And we were driving, and I was driving the car, and I came to a stop street and stopped at the stop street, and thankfully those days it wasn't handbrakes and all of that nonsense, you just stopped at the stop street. But as I stopped, uh, non- did I say nonsense? Sorry. <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Breaking the laws of the land. We didn't know enough to know about brakes, handbrakes, you know, all of that <laughs> those days <laughs> before somebody comes and locks me up. <laughs> um, <laughs> whoops. So I was dr- pulling up at the stop street, and as I stopped, a, a traffic officer pulled in behind me. And that just, that's just not what I needed at that point. So I became a bit nervous, and, you know, as I, stall, as I pulled away the car, it stalled. And, it was, and then eventually got, and as I pulled away from the stop street, woo, the little lights went on, and he pulled me over. And, um, you know, those days they were all Afrikaans. So the, he knocks on the window, opened the window, says, can I see your license, please? <laughs> so, uh, so uh, you know, now when you're nervous, you talk too much, eh? So uh, I give him the li- my, my driver's license. He says, oh, no, I don't have a license. I've only got my driver's license. And in fact, tomorrow I'm going for my, for my, for my test, and I'm going to, you know, do my test, and he looks at the paper, and then he looks at me and says, well, if you drive like that, you're definitely not going to get it. <laughs> How many of you know that's not what you need the night before you go for your... So guess what? The next day, I went for my driver's license, and I failed. <laughs> I was so nervous. I can remember my legs were shaking so much. I had no clutch control. I stalled. I, I don't think I even made it onto the road. It was a disaster. I failed completely because I wasn't ready. I, you know, I was qualified as a learner driver, but now needed to move up to the next level to become a full driver, that I could drive my car on my own, or my mother's car at that stage, on my own. But there was a test in between. To go from this level to the next level, I had to pass the test, and I was not ready. When the Lord speaks to us as a community and He's saying, I want you to be ready, what He's saying to us is you've been operating at this level, I want to take you to this level, be ready. Be ready. Prepare yourself. Get ready for the next level. Because you can think you've done well at this level, but you have to progress to this level. And often there will be a test in between that you have to pass so that you can go to the next level. So as we were talk, thinking about this, and as a team, we were praying through it, we were thinking now, what does this be ready mean, and how do we help each other? And uh, I mean, we're so thankful for the Scripture, and the Scripture is so full of stories about how God prepared people at different times to go from this level to the next level and help them to be ready. So we went to one of those stories in the Scripture, and that's what we're going to do for the next couple of weeks. We're going to look at a situation where Jesus helped some people be ready for the next level. And in this case, it was particularly, it was his disciples. And in John 15 to 17, those are going to be the major scriptures that we're going to work through over the the next eight weeks or so, is where Jesus was really doing that. He was helping his disciples to be ready. They were operating at a certain level, and he was saying to them, I want you to get to a higher level, so be ready. Be ready. So today what I want to do is start us off on that little bit of a process and, and just share with you the story that the the disciples were going through at that time, and a time of drastic, sudden change that they were experiencing. How many of you have ever experienced sudden change? 
that leaves you disoriented, that causes you to go, whoa, what's happening now? Unexpected, sudden change. That's what the disciples were going through, and Jesus was preparing them and saying to them, be ready, because you've been living here, but now you're going to live here, and I need you to be ready. But before we get to John 15, I want to just sort of give you the context of the story, and just so that we can feel and experience a little bit together how they were going through this sudden change. So let's go back to John 12. John tells us a story that unfolds, and everything I'm going to share with you that John writes is basically what happened from Palm Sunday up until Friday, Good Friday, the Friday of Jesus' crucifixion. So this whole, what I'm going to share with you now is, is, is a couple of touch points of what happened in that week. So let's start with the Sunday, Palm Sunday. And you know the story, John 12, verse 11. Because on account of him, Lazarus, that is, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is the king, the one who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Wow! Jesus and his disciples went to Bethany, the town where Lazarus, Mary, and Martha stayed. It's about three kilometers to the east of Jerusalem, so it's almost like a suburb of Jerusalem. They were on their way to the feast and going into Jerusalem, but they stopped over. They actually stayed in Bethany and would every day travel to Jerusalem and back as they needed to during that time. So as they got into the town of Bethany, it stirred the town because this was the place where Lazarus was. Lazarus was a respected, well-known person in the town, and everybody knew that there was a day when Lazarus died. But now Lazarus is back. Lazarus is alive. And they heard the story, and some of them witnessed, when Jesus stood outside of the, de- the grave of Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus came to life. Wow. Jesus, the one who raised Lazarus from the dead, is coming to town. So Jesus comes to town. The town gets all excited. The word spreads from there into Jerusalem. The people are really excited. It's also in this time, where the, on that day, where Mary came and washed the feet of Jesus with the perfume. And it was like, you can imagine for the disciples, our breakthrough has come. For years now, we've been walking with Jesus. We've been hoping, we've been looking forward to the time when people will recognize him for who he really is. When, when the king of Israel will be, will be recognized, our breakthrough has come. And particularly as they walked to Jerusalem and suddenly the crowds gathered and the people came and threw the, the leaves on the ground and the, and the palms were being waved and the people were shouting. You know, Jesus sent two of them to go fetch a donkey. He was riding in on the donkey and the people were going wild. Yeah, it's Hosanna, the king is here. The disciples were going Yes, finally, our breakthrough has come. Their hope was arising. They, they were even looking at one another and having discussions about, I'm going to be next to Jesus. I'm going to be the one sitting next to Jesus. No, 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 it's going to be me. They were all like, man, they had hope. They were saying to each other, wow, you know, all these years we walked with Jesus, people ridiculed us, they mocked us, they looked down upon us, they thought we were crazy. Wow, aren't we glad we hung in there? Aren't we glad, finally, it's happening. Jesus is the king. Excited. Great time. In the midst of this, all of this excitement going on, Jesus starts talking to them and preparing them 
for what's really going to come. And he wants them to be ready. So he starts saying some interesting things to his disciples. They are bouncing. They are full of energy. They are excited about life. They, you know, buying cars. They looking for houses in Jerusalem. They are, life's good, man. It's going to happen. Then Jesus starts talking to them like this. Now, it's interesting in John how sometimes he uses the word truly, truly, and he wasn't speaking to truly, truly. He was saying truly, truly. And um, we'll see a couple of truly, truly's this morning. But here he says in John 12, verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. They go, okay. We're talking about you, the king of the Jews, you know, thrones and all of this wonderful stuff, prophecies coming to pass. And Jesus starts saying, listen, I just want you to remember, unless you die, you know, there won't be fruit, lest the seed... And they go, sure, sure, we understand. That's awesome, Jesus. Particularly in the, remembering that here's Lazarus. He died, and look, he rose from the dead, and how Jesus was glorified, and that brought much fruit for the kingdom. Sure, wonderful. Death, life, fruit, awesome. Not quite catching what Jesus was saying. So he carries on, and I'm just touching on it some here and there, not reading all of it, but you can please, I'd encourage you to read these scriptures for yourself. In, uh, sorry, where am I going? Okay. John 13. We read now about the Last Supper. In verse 1 and then verse 4 and 5. I've sort of just put pieces together. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that His hour had come, that He would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. Jesus got up from supper and laid aside his garments. And taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Jesus knew what was coming. The disciples didn't figure it out at that stage yet. So Jesus sends them out, you know, to they go get the, the venue set up. You know, they're going to have a great time. They come, they have supper together the evening. The disciples are buoyant. They're excited about life. Life's good. Jesus is in a little bit of a different frame of mind. Because they think they're having a supper to prepare for the king. And this is a supper meal with the king. You know, it's, it's great. Jesus is having a last meal with his friends before he leaves them, before he's going to die. So Jesus, when they've had the meal had a great time celebrating. Late the evening, he does this. He removes his outer garment, puts on his, his this, uh, um, just a, like a cloth, and he starts washing their feet. Now, we know this is a big statement. There's a lot said about leadership and our position in life and all of that. But part of it was also him just wanting to be gentle with his disciples because he knew what was coming. Wanted to just be at their feet and just to say, I love you. I don't want you to forget that because it's going to get tough, but I love you. And he, he starts changing the mood. But things got really difficult when in verse 21 we read, he says to them, truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. One of you is actually going to turn against me. Now they all, you know, looking for opportunities, positions. Life's going to go great. He says, one of you 
they're not going to make the test. One of you is not going to progress further. You're actually going to betray me. I mean, how does that change the mood in a room when you say that? To a cl- in a close-knit group of people that have journeyed together for at least three and a half years, that have spent most of their days together, how does th- what does that do? Not only does Jesus say that, but if you go down to verse 20, 38, he, he looks at Peter and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Now, Peter was the, the sort of the leader of the pack. He was the most passionate of the disciples. He was the, he was the guy that, you know, if anybody's going to make it and follow Jesus, that's going to be Peter. And he looks at Peter and he says, even you will deny me. There's a test coming and you're not going to make it, many of you, through this test. It's going to get hard, boys. It's going to get tough. And he starts sharing with them. As you read that, he talks with them. He's preparing them for what's to come. And the whole demeanor changes. Their whole mood changes in that context. Where it gets to the point in John 14, verse 1, he says, do not let your heart be troubled. Now, how many of you know when Jesus says, do not let your heart be troubled, it's because your heart's going to get troubled. He's not just saying it, you know, this is a nice, cute you know, thing to put on a poster with a cat and a ball of wool. Don't let your heart be troubled. No, your heart is going to have opportunity to get really troubled. So I say to you, do not let your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I have told you before it happens, verse 29, so that when it happens you may believe, I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me, but so that the world may know that I love the Father. I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up. Let's go from here. By the time Jesus has finished thinking, these guys are not excited about life anymore. They're actually quite burdened, quite heavy, emotionally quite drained. Just what is going on? Sudden change. This is Thursday. So from Sunday to Thursday, sudden change in their expectations, just their experience, their feeling, their everything. But Jesus is so wonderful. He he says to them, look, you're going to go through a very difficult time, but before you go through it, I want to tell you, remember on the other side, I'm going to prepare a place for you. This is not the end, boys. This is not it's not going to, it may look like it all falls apart, but it's not. It's, you're going to come out better on the other side than what you're going to go into this. But the difficulties are coming. Be ready. Then he says to them, let's get up and let's go from here. So just imagine, it's around about midnight. They leave the upper room. They walk down the stairs into the dark night. Not only is it dark outside, but there's a darkness over their hearts. Jesus is by this time emotionally feeling the stress because he's on his way to the garden of Gethsemane to go pray, to pour out his heart to his father, to, to deal with the, the, the stress and the pain and the possible anxiety of what is to come on the cross. So he's walking with them. They go out of the upper room, down the stairs. They walk into the night. Got a couple of torches that they've got to follow the path. It's quiet. There's hardly anybody awake. Here's Jesus and the disciples walking down the road. Everybody's no more songs being sung. They're not 
ribbing each other, teasing each other, calling each other funny names, you know, jostling along the road, laughing, jokes. It's quiet. They're walking down the road. In that week, before this evening, on um, Monday, or Tuesday, I can't remember now all of a sudden, Monday or Tuesday, it was the day where Jesus cursed the fig tree. So as they're walking, they go past the vineyard. They see this beautiful vineyard. Now it's dark. Jesus gets close to a portion of the vineyard, and uh, He calls them close. Now I wonder if some of them thought, okay, here we go, poor vineyard, going to get cursed. Did it to the fig tree, perhaps He's going to do it to the vineyard. Gets them close to the vineyard, and He starts talking to them. He starts using the vineyard as an allegory for just their life and what they're busy going through. He uses it to prepare them. So He says the following in John 15, verse 1 to 4, I am the vine. And my father is the vine dresser. He's standing there with the vine, looking at this vine, and he says to them, I am this vine. My father is the vine dresser, the owner, the one who put this vine in the ground, the one who's wanting fruit from this ground, the one who's looking after this vineyard. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. He says, just like any owner of this vineyard, if there's portions of this vineyard that is not bearing fruit, he's going to cut it off and throw it away. Because he's looking for a yield. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. He's saying to them, this, I want to talk to you now, not about your place in me, but about how you become more fruitful in me. He's basically saying to them, guys, this this vineyard that you see here, if you want to take it to the next level of fruitfulness, if, if for years it's been producing fruit on this level, but you want to take it and, so that it can have a yield this much, in other words, increase its fruitfulness, have it bear more fruit, there's a process that you take it through that moves it from this level to this level. And that process in nature is called pruning. Pruning. And he's saying this to say to them, you are going right now through a similar process. You've been operating at this level. My father wants you to operate at this level of fruitfulness. And in between, there's a time of pruning. He's using this as an example for them. Not, he's saying, you're clean, you're already clean because of the word I speak to you. This is not about, do you belong to the father or not? This is about your fruitfulness. This is about how effective you are in the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know if you've been involved with pruning. I had the privilege of years and years ago, actually when I was on Year of Your Life, a friend of mine, fellow Year of Your Life, came from the Cape and they had a farm, grape farm, where, a fruit farm. So one of the things that they had on the farm was they had grapes and they would supply grapes to the local co-op where wine was produced. And uh, so we went and visited on the farm for a, a week or so. And you know when you stay on the farm, you farm. The farmers, it's not a holiday resort. You come there, they say, hey, extra labor. So off you go. So they would wake us up half past four in the morning. I flew down here. I paid for this holiday. But okay. So half past four in the morning, they wake us up, give you coffee and biscuit, and then you're ready, and off you go. And we went into the vineyards. And one of the things they made us do was to clean the leaves off the vineyards. I don't know if you've been in a vineyard, a, a vineyard consists of a, of a trunk of a, the grape that's in the ground with its root system, 
Um, every so many meters, there's one of these trunks. In between, they put up these, the trellis, and they make the, the vines at different heights. They tie them up to the, the wire, and, the, and then so that it spreads out like this. So when you drive past a vineyard, you see this one long, solid block of vines that are growing along the wires. But every so often, there's a, a trunk. And it actually becomes these vines that are intertwined, but every one of them belongs to a certain trunk. So what happens is the trunk is in the ground, and it obviously takes the nutrients and the water through its root system out of the ground, and then it pushes that up through the, through the, uh, the trunk, and, uh, and then it distributes it to its vines. And um, for the grapes to grow, it needs the right amount of nutrients. So the leaves actually compete with the grapes in two ways. First of all, the grapes in their production process for the wine that they want, they need the grape to have the right flavor. And that flavor comes right because the grape is exposed to the sun in the right way. So what happens is when, the, when, the, when it's springtime, the leaves grow. The, this vine gets filled with leaves. Before the grapes come, there's leaves. And then eventually the grape starts coming out. You know those little grapes and the little, little bunch of grapes starts growing. But most often the problem is those little grapes are in between the leaves because the leaves has grown everywhere. And so those grapes can't get enough sun. Secondly, also what happens, what is the problem is why the grapes are competing with the leaves is because, remember now, this trunk is getting resources from the ground, distributing it. So when it distributes the nutrients... Some of it goes to the leaves and some of it goes to the grapes. If there's not the right ratio between grapes and leaves, then the leaves will take too much of the nutrients and the energy and the, you know, the water and the grapes will underdevelop and the leaves will actually grow. So what we had to do was, it was tough work, because a, a normal, the, the, the knot of the grape is about this high. And that's where most of the grapes start hanging under you. So you had to, on your haunches, go and walk down these trellis lines and picking leaves and just clean up the leaves so that the, the, the grapes could get exposed to the sun and so that the ratio would become better. And then, you know, you work till about eight, then they call you for breakfast and you have breakfast and then you go right back and you go, and, and that we did for a couple of days. You just pick leaves like that so that the grape could get the right nutrients. That's pruning. The amazing thing about pruning is, pruning is when you cut away success. If you've ever pruned a tree, I mean, we all have trees in our gardens. If there's a dead branch and you cut that off, that's not pruning, that's cleaning up the tree. But if your tree is growing, whether it's a fruit tree or anything, and it's growing skew or it's growing in a direction that it, that it shouldn't be, or, you know, its crown is, is not in the right uh, balance, then what do you do? You take that branch that is growing, that is successful, and you cut it off. If it's a fruit tree, you actually make its ability to produce fruit less by cutting off some of the branches that are bearing fruit. That's where pruning is so funny. That's why Jesus says to them, you're right here in nature, you're seeing an example of this which feels so counterproductive that there'll be times in your life where God will cut away your success. Where He'll take the things in your life that are producing some fruit and He will cut them off. Have you ever experienced that? 
Have you ever been in a place in your life where you feel like, man, I've got traction. I've got momentum in this area. Finally, things are going. It's starting to happen. Man, there's, there's like the opportunity, whether it's a, a, a new job that you got, whether it's in your finances, whether it's a relationship that you've got, whatever it is, and you feel like it's going. There's starting to be fruit in this direction. And the next minute, off. It stops dead. Now, I know that's not always God, but very often in our lives, as believers particularly, the Lord's involved. Because He's saying, I want you to bear more fruit. I want you to go from this level to this level of fruitfulness. And the road in between, unfortunately, goes like this. It very seldom, if ever, goes like this. You very seldom go from this level to this level in a line. You often go through pruning. The disciples were entering a time of pruning. Another word for pruning, and Natasha introduced this word to me, and we've spoken about it in different contexts, is the word liminal. You're in liminal space. The word liminal is the, is, comes from the Latin word that we use for a, for a doorway, a, a threshold, a lintel. That's where we get that word from. You know, when you step from one room into a next room, you pass through a doorway, a threshold. And if you stand in the threshold, you're not in the old room, but you're not in the new room. You're in the in-between. And that's often this really hard space in our lives where, we, where we're not what we used to be, but we're not what we're going to be. We're in that in-between space, liminal space. We go through it often in our lives. In, in natural process of life, you go through liminal space. Two-year-olds are difficult sometimes because they're in liminal space. Don't give them a teaching about liminal space. It won't help. But you as a parent just need to know they're in liminal space. Liminal space is they've got to leave being a baby and they've got to embrace being a, a, a toddler. Some of it sometimes means that they've got to leave just being concerned about their mother and loving their mother and being there with their mother, and they've now got to embrace a bigger group of people, and their dad being one of them, and a dad is a bit harsh, a dad is a bit not so soft, and it becomes hard for them. Man, we had some two-year-olds in our house. Now, you can think we're not spiritual. We grew to be spiritual because of those two-year-olds. Sometimes 13-year-olds go through liminal space. 18-year-olds can go through liminal space. When you've lost a job, and you're now in between, you haven't got something new, you, you're not what you used to be, but you haven't got the new thing yet, you're in that space. Sometimes a relationship's ended, a, a marriage has come to an end and it's failed, and, and now you've, you, you, you're not married anymore, you're not what you used to be, but you, you don't know what you are yet. Many different times we go through our lives through these transitions, and those are challenging times, aren't they? They're difficult times. They're times where it feels like sometimes our inners are becoming our outers. God digs inside you, and He is just busy with us. And you don't know how to understand things, and everything becomes difficult. And you often have this feeling of, my best days are behind me. There's nothing ahead of me. As those disciples were walking down those stairs and walking into the dark, going through the vineyard, they were entering a new phase of liminal space. A horrible phase. Where over the next couple of days, they would be scattered. I mean, from there, Judas went and betrayed Jesus. The next day, Peter, the next evening, Peter disowned Jesus. The rest of them scattered, were afraid. 
They used to be Jesus' Jesus's disciples. Now Jesus is gone. What are we now? They were in that in-between space. And often in our lives, we enter in-between spaces. And they, they're hard because things get cut away. Now it's okay if the dead things get cut away. Cut away. But the pain of the live things, the fruitful things, the good things, even the things that we used to put our value in can get cut away. Even the most important things that we used to find success in, that we used to find our identity in, can get cut away. So what Jesus was doing when He was talking with them about this vine, He was saying to them, you're going into this difficult time, but please remember, you're going to come out the other side and you will have more than what you had when you went in. Please remember this. You see, for Jesus, it's all about the fruit. It's the fruit of our lives. So He carries on. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in me, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and, they ca- and cast them into the fire. Sorry, and they are burnt. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So he's saying to them, you're on this side now and you're bearing some fruit. Remember that fig tree. Why did I curse the fig tree? Because the fig tree bore some fruit. He says, I don't want you to be like the fig tree that just bears some fruit. The problem with the fig tree was it only bore fruit in its season. It couldn't bear fruit outside of its season. It could only do what was natural for it. It could only do what its environment allowed it to do. Jesus says, I don't want you to be like that fig tree. I want you to be like the man in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who, 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 who meditates on the word of the Lord day and night, for he will bear his fruit in season and out of season. Jesus says, I want you to be fruitful to the level where your environment doesn't determine your fruit, but what's inside of you determines your fruit. But unfortunately, there's things you have to let go of from this level so that you can enter into this level. And there's no other way, Jesus says, you have to go through it so that you can bear much fruit. Now, what, are, what is the fruit that we're talking about? The word fruit is, 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 has a concept of it's the natural product of an organism. When we say fruit, we don't just talk about trees. We talk about all sorts of things that bear fruit. It means they're producing after their own nature. The word fruit in the Greek here also has the concept of yield, like an investment. If you've put money into the bank, you're looking for a certain yield. That's also the, the idea of fruit. What is the fruit we're talking about here? Now, Jesus answers this for us. In that last verse of verse 8, he says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. So prove to be my disciples. Our fruit is whatever in our life gives glory to God. That's the fruit. Anything in our life that gives glory to God is the fruit. What does the word glory mean? It's not a word we use in our modern context, although we all live for it. One of the contexts of glory, and Chris actually mentioned in the worship today, is when we point to someone to make them fully known. That's a, a, a meaning of the word glory. 
To glorify a person is to say, I want you to know them for who they really are. I want you to see their best of who they are. Remember in the Trinity, they live to glorify one another, co-equal with God, preferring one another. So God looks at the Son and He says, wow, I want you to see the Son. I want you to see how amazing the Son is. Jesus is the best, and He glorifies Jesus. Then, then Jesus turns around and looks at the Spirit and He says, he glorifies the Spirit. Then the Spirit turns around and glorifies the Father. And so they're consistently glorifying each other, making known the best of each other, proclaiming it through the universe. Jesus said, I have come to glorify the Father. The Spirit says, I have come to glorify the Son. They make each other known. We are made in the image of God. The idea is that when you see us as human beings, we're different than any other creation. When you see us, at our, we are supposed to, through us, you look and you see the best of who God is. You see His glory. And we all want glory. We live in a world that desires glory. We don't call it that. In the Scriptures, glory refers to some things that are, that are things that we give authority in our lives and things that we hold as valuable. We make them very important. It's the things that that we say, if we have that, my life will have meaning and purpose. That's where we find glory. So, so imagine this. You, you live in a, in a rural area somewhere. You've got a child, a, a boy or a girl. And they really, as they grow up at school, people start noticing that this child is a gifted football player, soccer player. And uh, you get them into the club, and they start playing, and they start excelling. They get Provincial colors at primary school, they, you know, whatever. They, everybody takes notice. Now you come to a point where, you, where a scout comes around. And they notice your child and they say, we want to take your child to an academy in the city. And then you've got a decision to make. Am I going to take this child and remove them from their house, everything they know, and allow them, give them something Put something as so valuable in their life that it changes everything that they do so that they can pursue that. So the child leaves home, leaves parents, leaves family. Everything changes in their life for the pursuit of the glory of being a great football player. We all do that. We all have things in our lives that we say, if I can have that, there will be glory to my life. The problem with the things of this world, if you try and find glory in the things of this world, you will always be disappointed because everything in this world is broken. You can become the best athlete. and You'll arrive there and find it's empty. And you can hear story after story of people that tell you this. You can become the richest person and find that it's empty. Whatever you think, this is so valuable and important that I'll give it this authority in my life, that everything in my life will come about pursuing this. If it is not God, it will leave you feeling empty because only God is perfect and good. And if you give everything to Him, He's the only one in the universe that will leave you feeling fulfilled. Everything else, everything else can be good and have some good in it, but it will leave you feeling cheated. I listened this week, I met a, a guy, he's a famous actor in South Africa, left South Africa, I had the opportunity to pray with him, he went to the States, um, and, and LA and Hollywood, and pursued an act, a career there, and, and he was a Christian, when he went, he was a Christian from young, 
And he went through a time where, suddenly, where everything was looking bright and it was looking like he was going to make it. He was going to break through and be, you know, he was, he was auditioning for big roles of big movies and was represented by the best firm in the world and everything. And, and at a point, everything dried up and he found himself poor. Him and his wife were not in a good place. Everything was just at an end. And one night as he was crying out to the Lord he, and, and through a process, he realized that he's all his life been a Christian, but he was actually using God to get to the glory of something else. And God was pulling the plug and saying, there's only glory to be found in me. So he, through a process in his life, a, a time where he ended up as an Uber driver and eventually even became a janitor in his local church, God worked with him where he got to the point where he said, Lord, my glory is found in you and you alone. If you want me to be famous, if you want me to be a famous actor, if that will bring your glory, then that's fine. If you want me to be the janitor and that will be your glory, that's fine because all I want is your glory, Lord. You see that Jesus said, the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and life in abundance. Have you ever asked, what is it that the enemy wants to steal from you? I think often we think the enemy has come to steal our money, our health, our relationships. You know, that's not the stuff that he's worried about. What is he going to do with that? Why does he want your money? He can't do anything with it. Why does he want your relationships? You know what the enemy is the thief of? He's the thief of your ability to bring glory to God. Because that's your life. If you're rooted in Jesus, Jesus says, now look, this is how it goes. I'm, I'm going to finish now. Jesus says, I am the vine. I'm rooted into the ground. Uh, you know, when, a, when a, you can have on one portion of ground different fruit trees. You can have grapes, apples, pears, peaches, all next to one another. They all draw the same nutrients out of the ground, the same water, the nutrients doesn't produce grapes. What happens is the, the grape tree takes that nutrients, the vine, and draws it into itself. And in itself, it transforms those nutrients into the nutrients that produces grapes. Why? Because it's a grape tree. It's its nature. The Greek word for fruit is karpos, which means the inherent product of a living organism. Because I'm a grape, I produce grapes. I take the same water, the same nutrients as any other tree and transform them into grapes and eventually grapes will be made known through my, through my vine. Jesus says, I am the grape. My nature is to glorify the Father. My nature is to live for Him. And I will draw everything I need to be able to do that. If you are in me, then that same nature will flow through you and you will produce the fruit that glorify the Father because you are connected to me who it is my nature is to glorify the Father. And therefore Jesus says, if you abide in me, you can do whatever you ask, the Father will do it. And he was saying these to these disciples. Now over the next couple of days, they were scattered, they were persecuted, they went through a tough time, but all they needed to do was make it to the day of Pentecost. Forty days later, at the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit got poured out onto that group of people that were lost, that were in prayer together, crying out to the Lord, saying, Lord, we don't know. We're not what we used to be, and we don't know what we're going to be, but we're just waiting on you, Lord. All they had to do is to make it to there. Just stay, Jesus says. Don't run away. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't give up. Stay connected. And the day when the Holy Spirit was poured out on Pentecost, they moved from this level of fruit to this level of fruit. 
where no longer was their fruit determined by their environment. It was no longer the fruit of the external of the law, but it now became the fruit of grace. Because Jesus said, it's better for you that I leave so that the Holy Spirit can come and He will be your comforter. He will be your guide. He will bring you into the fruit that will glorify the Father. You and I have the Holy Spirit alive within us today. Amen? If you're a child of God, the Spirit of God is living within you. And the Spirit of God is consistently taking us through processes so that we can become more fruitful. The question in life is not, should I buy this car or this car? Should I have a car? Should I not have a car? Should I have a house? Should I not have? Those are not the questions of life. The questions of life is simple. There's one question you and I live our lives by. Lord, how do I glorify you? That's the foundation of every decision we make. How do I glorify you? And you and I can't glorify God except when we abide in the vine. Because then the nature of Christ, which is to glorify Him, will manifest through us. And we get to do what Jesus said. Live life and life in abundance. More fruit than you could ever think. Where your smallest little actions become glorification to the Lord. The things that you do there in the quiet where nobody sees you are not just actions anymore. They become fruit of eternal value. We get to glorify Jesus. Won't you stand with me this morning? Are you ready? Are you ready to go from this level to that level? Many of you have been in a time where perhaps this morning you're going, oh, that's what it is. Perhaps right now you're going in liminal space. You're in a time of pruning. You're in a time where you're going, I don't know what God's doing. It feels like I'm getting further away from His promises than what I'm getting closer to them. Let me say to you today, do not let your heart be troubled. If you abide in me, you will ask whatever you want. Because you see, when we abide in God, all we ask is that which will glorify Him. Because that's our nature. Why don't you just close your eyes? Just have a moment. Lord, I pray for every heart here today. You know the journey of every person's life because you are intimately involved with us, Lord. You love us. You have come, Lord Jesus, so that each of us can live a life of purpose and meaning, the life that glorifies Jesus, that has eternal value and purpose, a life where everything in it has meaning. Because it's about Jesus. It's about the Father through the power of the Spirit. I want to pray, first of all, Lord, if there are people whose hearts are troubled here this morning, that's, that's close to giving up and saying, I can't go, carry on. Lord, I want to speak to those hearts and just like Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. Abide in me. Stay with me there's no life outside of me Jesus says if you get cut off you're going to shrivel and you're going to die stay stay Lord I pray for the strengthening of your people strengthen us Lord Lord let us let go of the things we've lost in the pruning, Lord, let us let go of the former success. Help us to let go of the former so that we can lay hold of the new.
Come, Holy Spirit. We want to be ready. We want to be ready. Come, Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray right now, as we are in this place, thank you for your Holy Spirit in this place right now. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you've been here with us the whole day, moving among us gently. We pray, Lord, that you would dwell among us, that you would take your place in our midst, that you would not just visit us, but that you would make your home here with us, not in this building, but in our hearts, in our lives, first of all, Lord. That when we leave here this morning, you go with us, Holy Spirit. Each of us, thank you that you are my comforter, that when the pruning gets tough, you comfort me. You're my instructor, Lord, that shows me the truth. You're my hope that points me to the future. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that me, selfish me, get to live a life that glorifies God. Come, Holy Spirit. Won't you just, in your own heart or just with your own lips, say, Come, Holy Spirit. Fill me. Come and live in me. I need your comfort, Holy Spirit. I need your instruction, Holy Spirit. I need your hope. I need your power. I need your gifts. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. As a community, God is saying to us, be ready. You used to operate at this level. I'm taking you to the next level. Are you ready? Are you ready? There's been times of pruning. And we don't know. There may be still further times of pruning. We don't know. It's not up to us. Our focus is on the Lord Jesus. And our job is to stay in Him. And Lord, as a community, we've said that hundreds of times. But we say it again. It's all about you, Jesus. We just want to be in you. May everything we do bring glory to you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Just before everybody starts leaving, just give me an opportunity to say the following so that you don't just skip out on this. If you're here this morning and you've never committed your life to Jesus, if you're not grafted into Jesus, if you're not in Jesus, I would like to ask you to come to the front. Our team will be here. They'll just want to pray with you, just help you, take your details so we can send you some, some material, some help, and just connect with you and get you in connected to the Lord Jesus. It's not about joining this church. You can come and never come back here again. That's not our issue. Our issue is, do you know Jesus? If you need prayer for this morning for something else, if you're just saying, I need somebody to stand with me so that I don't let go, so that I keep on standing in the Lord, come and our elders and leaders will pray with you. There'll be baptism this morning in the... Uh, 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 functions area just to my right outside the doors there if you're going to get baptized please go there and be baptized the lord bless you remember to go register to vote the lord we love you have a wonderful week amen